0: Hello world, I'm Roger Corville and this is For the Hope's Daily Audio Bible where we read through the scriptures conversationally, talk about the truth claims of Christianity, and learn to fall more in love with Jesus and the people in his world. You ready? Let's roll. Welcome. Matthew wrote to a Jewish audience. A Jewish audience who, for a millennia, had been awaiting the promised Messiah. And what we've read so far in chapters 1 through 8 in the book of Matthew has been Matthew demonstrating that the king has arrived and what he's like and that he's got something to say. And today, we hear that he's not just talk. Matthew shows how the king, Jesus, demonstrates authority. The authority he announced at the end of that long sermon we read the last couple days. Hey, Hopeful, glad to be with you again from my traveling microphone and welcome to today's part of our journey together where we commit together to reading through every word of God's revelation of himself Monday through Saturday and considering our own life and work stories in light of that, including how, as you will hear today and tomorrow in Matthew, true authority goes together with real love. Notice the beauty of authority where it intersects with Compassion. Matthew chapter 8. When he came down from the mountain, large crowds followed him. Right away, a man with leprosy came up and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out his hand, Jesus touched him, saying, I am willing. Be made clean. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed, and then Jesus told him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. My friends, I'm just going to say this. Do you remember the purpose of miracles in the New Testament? I'll come back to that when we're done. Then Jesus told him, See that you don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded. As a testimony to them. When he entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed in terrible agony. He said to him, Am I to come and heal him? And Lord, The centurion replied, "'I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, and my servant will be healed, for I too am a man under authority, having soldiers under my command. I say to this one, go, and he goes, to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it.'" Hearing this, Jesus was amazed and said to those following him, "'Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with so great a faith.'" I tell you that many will come from east and west to share the banquet with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus told the centurion, Go, as you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed at that very moment. Jesus went into Peter's house and saw his mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. So he touched her hand, and the fever left her. Then she got up and began to serve him. When evening came, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick, so that what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. He himself took our weakness and carried our diseases." When Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave an order to go to the other side of the sea. A scribe approached him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Lord, another of his disciples said, First, let me go bury my father. Jesus told him, Follow me. And let the dead bury their own dead. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But Jesus kept sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up and said, "'Lord, save us, we're going to die.' He said to them, "'Why are you afraid, you of little faith?' Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, "'What kind of man is this? Even the winds and sea obey him.' When he had come to the other side, to the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him as they came out of the tombs, and they were so violent that no one could pass that way. Suddenly they shouted, "'What do you have to do with us, son of God?' Have you come here to torment us before the time? A long way off from them, a herd of large pigs. (laughs) Let me try that again. A large herd of pigs, and we're just keeping it real here today. A large herd of pigs was feeding. If you drive us out, the demons begged him, send us into the herd of pigs. Jesus told them, go. So when they had come out, they entered the pigs and... The whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and perished in the water. Then the men who tended them fled. They went into the sea and reported everything, especially what had happened to those who were demon-possessed. At that, the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. And that, my friends, is chapter 8. Hey, on that point about miracles, one thing to remember is the purpose of miracles. In the New Testament, miracles confirm that Jesus is who he claims to be. Is the authority of both him and his message, right? Remember that Jesus doesn't just tell the truth. He is the truth, right? So that was not only demonstrating his authority, but as we see in other later in the New Testament, we see that that message itself carries authority. Importantly, they're not party tricks for attention, they are supernatural intervention for demonstration. And of course, as we turn to our Old Testament segments, kingship. Is a rather key theme in our Old Testament segments of late as well. The books of First and Second Kings, which were originally one book, cover about three hundred and seventy years of history, starting from the end of David's reign. And right now we're in the midst of the account of his son and successor, Solomon, kind of a larger-than-life guy, and in particularly, we're hearing about a set of details that do what? That's my pop quiz for you today. What do we learn when we read this? First Kings chapter six. Solomon began to build the temple for the Lord in the 480th year after the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt in the fourth year of his reign over Israel in the month of Ziv, which is the second month. The temple that King Solomon built for the Lord was 90 feet long, 30 feet wide, 45 feet high. The portico in front of the temple sanctuary was 30 feet long, extending across the temple's width, and 15 feet deep in front of the temple. He also made windows with beveled frames for the temple. He then built a chambered structure along the templed wall, encircling the walls of the temple, that is, the sanctuary and the inner sanctuary, and he made the side chambers all around. The lowest chamber was seven and a half feet wide, the middle was nine feet wide, the third was ten and a half feet wide, and he also provided offset ledges for the temple all around the outside so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. The temple's construction used finished stones cut at the quarry so that no hammer, chisel, chisel, or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. I think that's an interesting factoid, my friends. Plus the previous one. He also provided offset ledges for the temple all around the outside so that nothing would be inserted into the temple walls. What's being demonstrated? Masterful construction. But that's not that's the earthly part of the big picture answer to the pop quiz. (laughs) Continuing. The door for the lowest side of the chamber was on the right side of the temple. They went up a stairway to the middle chamber, and from the middle to the third... When he finished building the temple, he paneled it with boards and planks of cedar and he built the chambers along the entire temple, joined to the temple with cedar beams. Each story was seven and a half feet high. The word of the Lord came to Solomon. As for this temple you are building, If you walk in my statutes, observe my ordinances, and keep all my commands by walking in them, I will fulfill my promise to you, which I made to your father David. I will dwell among the Israelites and not abandon my people Israel. When Solomon finished building the temple, he paneled the interior walls with cedar boards from the temple floor to the surface of the ceiling. He overlaid with interior wood. with wood. He also overlaid the floor with cypress boards, and then he lined 30 feet of the rear of the temple with cedar boards from the floor to the surface of the ceiling, and he built the interior as an inner sanctuary, the most holy place. The temple, that is, the sanctuary in front of the most holy place, was 60 feet long, and the cedar paneling inside the temple was carved with ornamental gourds and flower blossoms. Everything was cedar. Not a stone could be seen." He prepared the inner sanctuary inside the temple to put the Ark of the Lord's Covenant there. The interior of the sanctuary was 30 feet long, 30 feet wide, and 30 feet high. He overlaid it with pure gold. He also overlaid the cedar altar. Next, Solomon overlaid the interior of the temple with pure gold, and he hung gold chains across the front of the inner sanctuary and overlaid it with gold. So he added the gold overlay to the entire temple until everything was completely finished, including the entire altar that belongs to the inner sanctuary. In the inner sanctuary, he made two cherubim 15 feet high of out of olive wood. The wing of the first cherub was seven and a half feet long, and the other wing was seven and a half feet long, and the wingspan was 15 feet from tip to tip. Same for the second cherub. The first cherub's height was 15 feet, and so was the second cherub's. Then he put the cherubim inside the inner temple, and since their wings were spread out, the first one's wings touched one wall, while the second cherub's wings touched the other wall, and in the middle of the temple, their wings were touching wing to wing. He also overlaid the cherubim with gold. He carved all the surrounding temple walls with carved engravings, cherubim, palm trees, and flower blossoms in the inner and outer sanctuaries. He overlaid the temple floor with gold in both the inner and outer sanctuaries. For the entrance of the inner sanctuary, he made olive wood doors. The pillars of the doorposts were five-sided. The to- two doors were made of olive wood. He carved cherubim palm trees and flower blossoms on them and overlaid them with gold, hammering gold over the cherubim palm trees. And in the same way, he made four-sided olive wood doorposts for the sanctuary entrance. The two doors were made of cypress wood. The first door had two folding sides. The second door had two folding panels. He carved cherubim palm trees and flower blossoms on them and overlaid them with gold applied evenly over the carving. He built the inner courtyard with three rows of dressed stone and a row of trimmed cedar beams. The foundation of the Lord's temple was laid in the fourth year of Solomon's reign in the month of Ziv. In his eleventh year, in the month of Bul, which is the eighth month, the temple was completed in every detail and according to every specification. So he built it in seven years. Well, there you go. That is 1 Kings chapter 6. My friends, the construction of the temple and the prayer of dedication that we hear, uh, well, we'll hear a little bit later because the kind of the sum of that part of the narrative is chapters 6 through 9, which we just started today. Those two things show us the uniqueness, faithfulness, holiness, and grace and mission of god as mentioned frequently here chronicles was written few hundred years later looking back but also to look forward on the key themes of kingship and temple second chronicles chapter three this one's a lot shorter Then Solomon began to build the Lord's temple in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the site David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan, the Jebusite. He began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. These are Solomon's foundations for building God's temple. The length was 90 feet, the width was 30 feet, the portico, which was across the front, extending across the width of the temple was 30 feet wide, and its height was 30 feet. He overlaid its inner surface with pure gold the larger room he paneled with cypress wood overlaid with fine gold and decorated with palm trees and chains he adorned the temple with precious stones for beauty and the gold was the gold of parvaim he overlaid the temple the beams the thresholds its walls and doors with gold and he carved carved cherubim on its walls Then he made the most holy place. Its length corresponded to the width of the temple, 30 feet, and its width was 30 feet. He overlaid it with 45,000 pounds of fine gold. The weight of the nails was 20 ounces of gold, and he overlaid the ceiling with gold. He made two cherubim of sculptured wood work for the most holy place, and he overlaid them with gold. The overall length of the wings of the cherubim was 30 feet. The wing of one was seven and a half feet touching the wall of the room. The other wing was seven and a half feet touching the wing of the other cherub. The wing of the other cherub was seven and a half feet touching the wall of the room, and its other wing was seven and a half feet reaching the wing of the other cherub. The wingspan of these cherubim was 30 feet. They stood on their feet and faced the larger room. He made the curtain of blue, purple, and crimson yarn and fine linen and he wove cherubim into it. In front of the temple, he made two pillars, each 27 feet high. The capital on top of each was seven and a half feet high. He made chain work in the inner sanctuary and also put it on top of the pillars. He made a hundred pomegranates and fastened them into the chain work. Then he set up the pillars in front of the sanctuary, one on the right and one on the left. He named the one on the right Jachin, And the one on the right, Boaz. And that is 2 Chronicles 3. And uh, one thing I'll mention before we get to our closing wisdom segment, which are Proverbs from Solomon today. The function of those two pillars is debated. Uh, This is from J.A. Thompson's commentary. Uh, Apparently, they had a symbolic and decorative value rather than structural that is, they were not part of the support structure. And those names, Jakin and Boaz, may provide a clue, but here too is wide disagreement. So, if you were wondering like me, why, why would he name these pillars? A commonly held view, according to Thompson, is that the names are abbreviations for names of God. He is the one who establishes, Jacob, and in him is strength, Boaz. So there you go. That's all I got for you today. We wrap up today with a bit of Proverbs and uh, picking up in chapter 21, verse 18. The wicked are a ransom for the righteous and the treacherous for the upright. Better to live in a wilderness than with a nagging and hot-tempered wife. Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a fool consumes them. The one who pursues righteousness and faithful love will find life, righteousness, and honor. A wise person went up against a city of warriors and brought down its secure fortress. The one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. The arrogant and proud person named Mocker acts with excessive arrogance and finally a slacker's craving will kill him because his hands refuse to work he is filled with craving all day long but the righteous give and don't hold back and my friends that gets us up through verse 26 i love you amen amen